0: Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, hey, welcome to Liquid, everyone. I'm uh, Pastor Tim Glad you're here for week two of our series. Last words, and uh, we need to welcome our brothers and sisters who are joining us in Nutley, New Brunswick, and Mountainside, as well as some new friends who are joining us for this special series in Garwood, New Jersey. Would you welcome our (laughs) new friends, brothers and sisters? Glad you're with us, or if you're listening or watching online, glad you're here. Um, We are rounding home and uh, really headed for Easter here. In the weeks, weeks leading up to Easter, what we're doing is we're looking at the last words that Jesus spoke as he hung on the cross, even if you're new to church or you're not a Christian you're you know investigating the faith, you probably know at least this that the cross is the central symbol of Christianity, and the cross is kind of popular right as a fashion statement you'll see people with uh, you know a necklace uh, with a cross on it, or they'll get a tat you know on their arm or, or on their back. Uh, you know you may have heard of the woman who goes to the jewelry store and says, "I want one of those little Uh, Gold crosses, but without the little man on it, you know? And the reality is, is that that little man Jesus was on the cross. Uh, Researchers say probably between six and 12 hours he hung there before he died. And as he was on that cross, he spoke seven words, or better, seven statements from the cross. And these are the last words that Jesus spoke that are really Christians around the world hold dear. And last week we looked at. Jesus's final prayer, the first thing he said was actually a prayer in Luke 23. As he looked down at his enemies, he prayed, you remember the words? Father, forgive them. Those are powerful words Jesus taught his disciples. He said, love your enemies, pray for those who hurt you. And then he actually showed them how. In his last breaths, Jesus practiced what he preached. And today, I want to continue on to the second statement found in Luke chapter 23. So if you open your Bible to Luke 23, or we put it in your program today, and in fact, if you didn't get a program, raise your hand right now. We'll hand a program. Our campus teams are coming down at our campuses. There's something important in the program that I'm gonna ask you to respond to later. So if you don't have one, just raise your hand. We're gonna start at verse 32 of Luke chapter 23. Scripture says this. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And we'll stop right there just because the, the skull, kind of a, like it's, it's a very menacing name. The skull was actually the shape of a hill. It was called Golgotha. It was a small hill right outside the gates of Jerusalem, and the Romans chose it as an execution site because it was high above and anyone traveling along the main road would look up and they'd see criminals being put to death. And it was a warning to say, hey, this is what happens if you defy Rome. So the skull is here and this is interesting, two criminals, one on the right and the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up Jesus' clothes by casting lots or, or rolling dice. The people stood watching. And even the rulers sneered at him. And they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar. They said, yeah, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Now, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence, we're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, let's say this together, ready? Today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you right now for the reading of your word. I ask that you'd send the Holy Spirit just to make it come alive in our heart in a new way. We thank you for the cross and just the assurance of salvation you offer to any man or woman who comes to you humbly in faith. I ask the Holy Spirit now would just um, touch and, and bring the truth to bear. Under every man and woman in this room, listening at our campuses, under the sound of my voice, may we see the love of Christ and experience it in a fresh way. I actually pray in particular, Father, right now for those who may feel distant from you today, maybe there are people here who don't even feel they belong in church, but today is their day. You you brought them here for a reason, and your arms are open wide, so we ask just a, a wave of salvation to break over this church as we respond to your word. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. All right, key phrase, today you will be with me. It's an amazing promise, isn't it? One of Jesus' last words on the cross. On Tuesday, I was driving home on 287, Route 287. I got stuck in traffic around Parsippany, kind of bumper to bumper, standstill. And I assumed it had to do with all the potholes, you know, that are coming out. Anybody have potholes by their, by their house, right? Like the snow's melting away, and there are these, these giant crater-sized you know, potholes, you know, I drove by one uh, this morning, I you know, I looked inside, there was a Prius, I'm like, wow, you know, that's like, (laughs) he deserved it, you know, so, so, uh, sorry, so I'm I'm stuck on 287, and you know, four lanes, not moving one inch, and we're just sitting there, and I see this tow truck come screaming down the shoulder, and it's got its lights on, and I realize, oh man, it's going to be a while, so I actually, you know, I get my phone, I text my wife, I'm like, you know, I'm going to be late, And um, after about 20 minutes, we start inching forward, and I can see now there's a tow truck stopped, and there's a vehicle, like an SUV in front. I can't see the full thing. And, uh, and, you know, we're still inching, and then this police cruiser comes ripping down the shoulder with its lights on. The cop gets out. He's kind of directing traffic. And then I hear choppers, and I, I look up, and there's a helicopter. Channel 2 news is hovering there. Oh, and then there's another helicopter, Channel 4 news and everything. And after another 15 minutes, I inched by the car, and this is what I saw. An SUV had actually plowed into and under a tractor trailer. Horrible scene. Fire and rescue on scene. They were using the jaws of life, trying to pry it open. But even as we inched by, you realized survival was unlikely. So the next morning, I go online, you know, to see if I could find out what happened and found the article. The newspaper said, fatal crash on Route 287. And the driver died instantly. The the moment his, his car impacted the truck... But there was no sign, the police said, of any drugs. The cause was not alcohol use. They said it wasn't even weather-related. What was the suspected cause of crash? Texting. 41-year-old father who took one moment to look down and text his last words to somebody he loved. Maybe his wife, maybe his kids, I don't know. Tragic, sobering reminder of how texting is deadly while driving, but there were no other details of, of this man's death. I don't know if he was religious. I don't know if he went to church, but it got me thinking about how life can like change in an instant, can it? One moment you're driving home from di- for dinner, and the next moment you're departing for eternity. And I got thinking, like, I wonder what his last words were that he, you know, he typed. I mean, did he he even know God? Did, Did he personally hear the promise of Luke 23? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. See, Jesus was not the only man on the skull to speak last words. In Luke 23, we see two other men who speak last words before they leave the earth for eternity. It says, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus along with two criminals, One on his right and the other on his left. All four gospels mention these other two men, calls them thieves. And it says that they actually spoke from their crosses too. They actually were both cursing Jesus at one point, Matthew says. And you may say, well, that's a terrible thing. Why was it arranged that way? Why did God allow his son to die Between two criminals, why did the soldiers line it up that way? And the answer is, it was intentional. Because God's word actually says it was supposed to happen that way because it was a prophecy. 750 years earlier, before this moment, Isaiah predicted this. In Isaiah 53, he wrote this in the Old Testament. He said, the Savior poured out his life unto death and he was what? Numbered with the transgressors, meaning he would be lined up alongside other sinners. For he bore the sin of many, Jesus carried our sin, and made intercession or prayed for the transgressors. And we saw how Jesus fulfilled that prophecy last week by actually praying for his enemies. But this was prophesied or predicted 750 years before. In other words, it was part of God's plan to allow Jesus to suffer and die between two thugs. Now, I want you to catch this and don't ever forget it. If you're here today and you're like, man, I've been turned off by organized religion, me too. Jesus too. Notice something about Jesus Christ. Jesus did not die in a cathedral between two candles. He died on a cross between two criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And it was part of God's plan to have three crosses on the hill that day. And we meet three men in the final moments before they leave the earth. Today was their last day. In fact, this was probably their last breath on the earth before they passed into eternity. And let me ask you this question. I mean, if you knew today was your last day, what would you be thinking? Your thoughts would probably naturally turn from earth to eternity, and you'd be thinking like, well, you know, what is, what's waiting for me after death? Where, where, where am I going? What kind, of, what kind of life have I lived? I, I have no idea if the, the father who was texting had a split second to consider that before he left this world. I don't know if he was a good man or if he was a bad man. But when we look at these two men, we see a contrast. Why did one man die next to Jesus and go to hell while the other man died next to Jesus and went to heaven or paradise as Jesus refers to heaven? Both were very close to Jesus Both had equal opportunity to speak to Jesus, but each had a completely different outcome. The guy on this cross died in his sin, and the guy on this cross died to his sin, and the man in the middle died for both of them. What do you do with the middle man? One goes to paradise, one to punishment. Why is that? Don't you want to understand that? I want to know that. I was reading it this week, and I was like, if today was my last day, I'd want to know for certain that I'd be in paradise with Jesus. What made the difference here? Let's start with what these men had in common because if you look in the text, it says that both men were thieves um, but Matthew calls them actually violent robbers which simply means that they were street thugs. The Romans didn't execute people for stealing Mentos, okay? For shoplifting, that's not who these guys are. These are actually violent criminals who got the death penalty In our culture, it might be the guys you see on the news who, you know, who carjack people, you know, carjackers in tandem. They hold a gun, they pistol whip the driver, they jump in and drive away. If you're new to New Jersey, welcome, you know, carjacking capital of the world. These men were hardened criminals. They weren't shoplifters. They probably had mugged women, jumped travelers, robbed people's homes until finally said, Rome said, we've had enough. They've got to be put down like dogs. And so they condemned these men to death. That's the kind of thugs they were. So violent, so hardened, they both got the death penalty. They, both men had been hauled before a court of law and declared guilty. Now, before you judge them too harshly, understand something. Their guilt is a representation of our guilt. We learned this last week. Anytime we look at the cross and are tempted to judge those who crucified Jesus, the jealous Jews, the raging Romans, the crooked court system, we have to stop and acknowledge, actually, we're all guilty in the eyes of God. Their guilt is a picture of our guilt. And you may think, well, yeah, whoa wait, wait, wait. I've never attacked anyone, Tim. I, I've, I've never ripped anyone off. But one of the things that got Jesus crucified is that he offended people by how he expanded the definition of sin and said, it's actually about your heart. Jesus said, uh, you've heard it said, uh, you know, do not murder. But I tell you, if you're angry with your brother and you say, what a jerk, you've committed murder in your heart. According to that standard, I killed six people at Starbucks standing in line this morning. <laughs> Confession. Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. But I'm telling you, even if you have lustful thoughts about another man or woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. I mean, with the stakes raised that high, who's innocent? I'm a pastor. I'm guilty. I have to sit and take my place on one of these crosses alongside Jesus because their guilt is my guilt. First John 1.8 says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, what we do is we we compare with the person sitting next to us. If you look down your row and you you may think like, well, you know, I've made some mistakes, but I'm not as bad as him or her. (laughs) I know that's what some of you are thinking. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, at least I'm not as bad as you. (laughs) Do it, go ahead, do it. All right, very good, now you're lying. (laughs) It's the wrong comparison. It's the wrong comparison because because compared to God's standard, every single one of us falls short of perfection. What's God's ideal of perfection? Answer, Jesus, the middleman, on the cross, the sinless son of God, the only human being to ever walk the face of the earth and never sin. He was born with a divine nature, not a sin nature like you and I have. He was begotten of God and that means he was holy. He was pure. He was innocent. He was blameless. He obeyed God at every turn, his father. In fact, Jesus' life was so straight that it made ours look so crooked and bent in comparison, we killed him. We murdered God's son. That's the reality of Golgotha. That's Skull Hill. Where two thieves represent two thugs, two men, both guilty, both condemned to die. Today was their last day. But what's interesting to me is the different response that each of them had to the middleman. Because one of them, we don't know why, was suddenly like awakened to his guilt before God. Look at verse 39. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't right, you the Messiah. Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence, we're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong two criminals, two crosses, but two totally different responses. One of the men curses Jesus and the other stops cursing and confesses him as savior and king. He stops playing the victim card. He stops professing his innocence. He actually takes personal responsibility. He says, We're, I'm being judged justly. I'm actually getting what I deserve and stops making excuses. He stops deflecting the blame to others. But with great humility, he looks at Jesus and he says, this man's done nothing wrong. He's sinless. What changed this guy's heart? I was stumped by that this week, studying this passage. I'm like, what What caused a hardened criminal to suddenly admit his guilt and then publicly acknowledge his need for Jesus? What gave him faith? I'm staring at this and I'm like, maybe... When he turned and looked at Jesus, he read the sign above Jesus' head. Did you see that in verse 38? It said, there was a written notice above Jesus that read, say this together, this is the king of the Jews. And you may be like, wait a minute, I thought he was, the, the Jews rejected him. Yes, the Jews rejected Jesus as their king. But Pilate, the Roman governor, he said, I'm going to put up this sign to mock them. This is the king of the Jews. Here's your king, people. Any questions? And you say, that was horrible of Pilate. But you know what? I believe that was God speaking to Pilate, ordering him to write those words because Pilate ordered that those words would be written in three languages, Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, so nobody would miss the message. In essence, Pilate, under the Holy Spirit, Wrote the first gospel tract in human history. <laughs> he put up a trilingual billboard testifying to who Jesus really was. And as that criminal craned his neck, he read, Jesus King. And, and he looks into the bloody faith, face of Jesus. And I think he's struck at this moment, struck by the truth of what his life was and who Jesus is. And so he prays this prayer. His last words on earth, he, he prays a prayer. Then he said, listen, look at this prayer. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The man who spoke those last words was demonstrating some amazing faith. Because I'm like, the last thing Jesus looks like at this moment is a king. He's stripped. He's a bloody wreck. And he's being executed in public. Obviously, he has no power, which kings do. Obviously, he has no authority. And obviously, he had lost his crown. I mean, I want you to picture Jesus in your head at this moment. If Jesus is a king, then his throne is a cross. If Jesus is a king, then his crown is made of thorns. If Jesus is a king, then his, his royal scepter is a Roman spike. If Jesus is a king, then his royal court is a crowd crying out for his blood. Jesus did not look like a king at this moment. Is this your king? Stretched out on a cross with a a nail in each hand, stripped naked on Skull Hill. Two thieves on either side, and he looked just like them, broken, condemned to death. And yet this thug, this so-called thief, has the faith to say, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your what? Your kingdom. He looks at this guy and he calls him a king. That's amazing faith. What what happened in his heart? That he actually looked at Jesus past the shame of the cross to Jesus' future glory. And in a moment like that, his life changed. He became a Christian. He had the promise of heaven, which would be seconds away. I mean, I look at that, and I think, that's amazing. Conversion can happen like that. Life can change like that. I talk to people who say, well, you know, I'm in the process, Tim, of investigating Jesus, and I think I'm in the, I'm in the process of conversion. Uh, that's fine. Uh, but there, you can be converted like that. You can give your life to Jesus Christ and have the guarantee and assurance of salvation like that in an instant. That's what happened with him. What gave this criminal this, this burst of faith? You know what it was? the holy spirit spoke to his heart convicted him of a sin and convinced him of the truth of who jesus is of his need for a savior he didn't just say i think that's god's son he said this is god's son and he's dying for me this is because of me and it is for me and jesus became very personal in that moment that's what the holy spirit does he he convicts our conscience and then he convinces us of the truth and you don't see people can go to church for a long time and say you know i like jesus i think that's important i think this is that moment where it moves from your head to your heart. And you say, that is his body broken for me. That's his blood shed for me. And the thief responds, watch. One receives Jesus and the other rejects him. Two criminals, two crosses, both see and hear the same thing. And they have two opposite responses. One receives Christ as his king and the other rejects Jesus. And this is a mystery to me. Why is that? Because I know the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to some of you in this room. And he's saying, actually, today is your day. What will you do with Jesus today? Will you receive him or reject him? I mean, if today was your last day, you'd want to make that decision, wouldn't you? And what will happen today is some of you are going to say, yes, I will receive Jesus. As we had people at our last service, incredible. And some will say, no, thanks. Reject him outright. I've never understood this. It is a mystery to me. Every Sunday, we have all these liquid services, and everybody sings the same songs. Everybody hears the same message, the same gospel, the same Holy Spirit is present and working and moving and convicting, and some will receive Jesus, and some will reject Jesus. And it's a choice every single one of us has to face. To re- what do you do with the middleman? You receive or reject Two criminals, two crosses. And their response seals their eternity, right? One goes to hell, and the other goes to heaven or paradise to be with Jesus forever. Stark contrast, and it's meant to be. Let me tell you what you're feeling, and then what I decided to do about it. I realized as I was sharing this, writing this message this week, this is this is heavy. Whoa. I was like, this is a tense, heavy message. And this is the moment in a sermon that I typically then tell a story or a funny joke to lighten things up. And I had a great video to show you from Jimmy Fallon to just ease the tension a little bit. But as I was writing this and confronted with the truth of God's word, I decided I'm not going to play the video. You know why? Because as I'm writing this message, I felt the Holy Spirit say, Tim, keep the focus on Jesus. Don't do anything at this moment to distract anybody from the simple choice in front of them. I heard God say, I want you to ask people, are they ready to hear these words today? You will be with me in paradise. Because on Tuesday, you saw that eternity is closer than any of us think. And so, listen, as your pastor, as your pastor, I I have to ask you, if, if, if today was your last day, how would you choose? Would you re- receive the simple truth of Jesus or reject it? Again, when people come close to death, they become very focused on their destiny. Matters of like heaven and hell are not like conceptual ideas. And the question is, which side of the cross are you sitting on today right now? I have no idea. Only you know and only God knows. I have no idea. That's why I judge nobody. If you're not a Christian, we, this is a church for anybody. You can come here, have no background in Christianity, be another religion. You could be a, a witch, a Jedi Knight. I don't care. We, like, Everybody's welcome. And you have no idea how people have responded. But in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to make a choice about Jesus and give you the opportunity to say he's my king and become a Christian. But before I do that, I want to clarify some things that you don't see here in Luke 23. The first is purgatory. Purgatory is a belief that there's this like middle ground between heaven and hell where when you die, that guy in 287 goes this kind of you know, middle ground place where you then you kind of pay for your sins you do penance and people pray for you, then hopefully, hopefully, one day after you suffer, maybe you will move to paradise. But that's actually not what Jesus says here. He doesn't say, you know, in a year or two or a month from now, you'll be with me in paradise. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says what? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. So understand those who are saved are saved today. When you die and you are saved, you instantly go into the presence of Jesus in paradise. There's no such thing as purgatory, and that's not meant to offend you if you grew up Catholic or from that tradition. You are most welcome here. My wife grew up, uh, you know, Catholic. She's very grateful for that heritage. But there's no such thing as purgatory because it's simply not in the Bible. Jesus never mentions it. And the key word in this passage is today. You'll be with me in paradise today. Not tomorrow, not a month, not a year from now. Today. Isn't that encouraging to you? Isn't that cool to know you can know with confidence beyond a shadow of a doubt when you make Jesus king of your heart, he saves you today. We printed this word today. We felt it was important enough. To print it on the back of your message notes. Would you take that out? Reach into your bulletin. You'll find this word today printed there. Wave it in the air when you've got it. Let me see it. Just wave it in the air. Okay. Awesome. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Good. Today. The reason I'm holding having you wave today is because none of us know what tomorrow holds. You're here today and we all assume we're going to go out for lunch (laughs) or home to, you know, watch TV or play sports. And then tomorrow off to school or work, and most of us will, but some of us may not. That's not a threat. That's not like gloom or doom. That's just statistics. Reality says this. Some people listening to my voice today won't be here next year. Eternity is closer than any of us think, and it has nothing to do with age. And that is why people sometimes feel anxiety like at a message like this, because you're talking about the afterlife, and, and they have this fear of death that causes them to think, man, I, I'm not sure where my future would be. I, I'm not sure if there even is a, a heaven. I, I'm not sure I've done enough good things. But you know what? In Jesus' mind, heaven and hell are very real places, fixed points, where our souls actually live forever. And the line between the two runs straight through the cross. So how do you know for certain you'll go to heaven? Simple. You pray like a thief. (laughs) See, that's the second thing that's missing from Luke 23. First, there's no purgatory. But notice, there's no fancy prayer either. In fact, as prayers go, the thief's prayer is pretty lame. (laughs) Jesus, remember me? Amen. There's no lofty language here. There's no, oh, blessed Savior, come to thine servant's aid in thine moment of travail. This guy's a street thug. He's on the cross and he's bleeding. He's in what you might call a tight spot. And yet the Holy Spirit so grips his heart with the love and compassion and grace of Jesus. It breaks through and he makes this crummy Deathbed confession. Well, it's not that crummy. Look what he says. He says, all you need to say, I'm getting what I deserve. But this man's done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and according to Jesus, this is the prayer that unlocks the gates of the kingdom of heaven. No lofty language, no fancy words, just this this short confession from the heart. And Jesus answers his prayer, What? today, immediately, and you may be like, but Tim, I'm, I'm new to this. I'm brand new to church uh, in this whole Jesus thing, and I haven't had time to clean up my life, right? There's still areas that I know like, you know, if you're talking about pleasing God, I am not pleasing God, or I struggle with such and such a habit or addiction. I haven't had time. I hear this one. I haven't had time to do any of like the good works that God requires to enter heaven. Whoa, 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 whoa. Good works? Who said anything about good works, helping you get to heaven. Again, go back to the scripture and see what's missing. See, this criminal never went to church. He never got baptized. He never received communion. I'm guessing he didn't give a tithe. I'm guessing he never gave an offering. He's a thief. He's a thief. He probably never was in a Bible study in his life. And yet he finds himself that day face to face with God Almighty. What does he have in his hands? Answer, nothing. In fact, he does have something. He has two nails in his hands, which guarantees one thing. On this earth, he will never lift a finger to do one good work to commend himself to God. He has saved totally, completely, sheerly by grace. God's radical love and forgiveness for sinful people who don't deserve it at all. is that amazing? Listen to me. If you're here and you're struggling with things that you've done, you carry guilt for things that even you do, understand this. There is more grace in God's heart than sin in your past. Jesus said, because of my grace alone, today, You'll be with me in paradise. Today is the day of salvation. No good works in this passage. Jesus promises heaven to a murderous criminal who has nothing to offer him in return, and you have nothing to offer. None of this impresses God. Me up here preaching, not impressed. When I get to heaven, my why should I let you into heaven, Tim? Well, I led this church in New Jersey. <laughs> Apart from me. (laughs) I got nothing but the blood of Jesus come in. Grace, free gift. All you can do is accept a gift. Like the thief, you pray, Jesus, all I have is you. And that prayer of poverty unlocks the generosity of God. Of course, it's important to go to church, to get baptized, to read your Bible. Of course, it's important to serve the poor. And of course, God wants you to do all sorts of things out of love for him. But here's the trick. You will never do them out of love until you receive his love. His radical grace, which comes straight from the cross of Christ. 1 John 4.10 says this. This is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So the truth is this. If you're sitting here today and you're trusting in anything other than the middleman, Jesus for salvation, you're not really saved. You're religious, but you're not saved. Let me put this in a way that you will never forget. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. <laughs> if good works earned our way into heaven, it means Jesus died for nothing. The Bible says salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. And if you add anything to it, it's man made religion garbage. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. On the other hand, here's the good news. Here's here's what the thief got. Listen. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you trust solely in faith, in the grace of Jesus Christ, you get everything. When you admit your guilt and acknowledge your need, what does God do? He washes your sin away. The Bible says he removes it as the east is from the West. He says, I'll take that guilt and put it here. You can leave the shame here too. I'm going to give you a fresh start and I'm going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to come live inside of you and you will have the assurance, the guarantee of the promise of heaven. Jesus says, I don't care who you are, where you've been or what you've done. I tell you the truth. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Can I ask you this? Do you have that confidence? Do you have that rock-solid assurance that beyond a shadow of a doubt, if today was your last day, you would see Jesus face-to-face in paradise? Look at these two thieves and understand there's a choice to make. Because both men died, and both were in the same proximity to Jesus. Maybe you've been coming to Liquid for a few months, and you say, man, I'm really enjoying this church. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is a moment for you. Because one received Jesus and the other rejected him. Has it occurred to you that one made a decision and it changed his eternal future forever? I want you to imagine this. The last man to speak to Jesus on earth was the first to meet him in heaven. And one day, you're going to meet one of them. You will not meet both thieves. You will meet one of them. And with his last words, Jesus saved a murderous, cutthroat thief in his dying moments. And friends, this this is God's way of saying, I'll save anyone, anywhere, anytime. There is no sin in your past that is not overwhelmed by the grace of God. It's never too late or too soon. You are never beyond the grip of grace, amen? But if you get to choose, let today, be that day. And I'm going to give you a chance to make that choice today, to actually make Jesus your king and receive salvation. What that means is I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to give my life to Jesus, admit my guilt and need for a savior, and he's going to be my king. He's going to have authority and power over my life, and I'm going to give him my obedience Because I know the Holy Spirit has been speaking to some of you. It's not just today. He's been speaking to you for a a long time. But today's the day. And today is the day that you cross over. You're going to cross over from death to life with Jesus. You will leave here never feeling the guilt or carrying the shame again. And you can leave here and say, I don't actually have to fear dying ever again. And if you can't point to a day in your life where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you ask Jesus to save you, this is your day. And if you're like, well, yes, that's me, but what do I do? It's easy. You pray like a criminal. You simply, from the heart, you admit your sin and you ask Jesus to be your king, to save you. And I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer to do that. And if that is your prayer to receive Christ for the first time, I'm going to ask you to hold up your sign that says today. Only I'll see it. Your campus pastor will see it. But what I'd like to do right now is ask all our campuses just to bow our heads for prayer and then I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer to invite Christ into your life. Holy Spirit, we invite you now. I ask for the spirit of Jesus which is alive and working and convicting men and women everywhere of the truth of God Right now, Holy Spirit, would you just convince and convict men and women of this truth? Give them the courage right now, Father God, to pray these words to make Jesus Christ their king. If all heads bowed, we're still praying together. If you're here and you're saying, today is my day, I'm going to receive Christ. And I'm going to settle this once and for all. Would you just hold up your sign right now? Just hold it up so that I can see it, your campus pastor, praise God for you. Four people over here, two in the back. Praise God. God bless you. Keep it up. Just hold it up. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Three more over here. Praise God for you. Today's your day of salvation. Gates of heaven opening. Praise God. Okay, if you're holding this up, you can simply pray these words out loud after me. I'll pray them, then you say them out loud. Ready? We're going to do it together. Ready to pray? Here we go. Jesus, remember me today. Jesus, remember me today. I give you my life today. I turn from my sin today, and I put my faith in you. Jesus, thank you for loving me and dying so I can live forever. I receive you as my king today. Father God, you have heard the prayers of men and women at all of our campuses. Some are even praying maybe online or in their heart right now. God, send the Holy Spirit, confirm right now, Take their guilt, their shame, nail it to this cross. Let them leave here forgiven and free and convinced of their eternity now with you. You have them securely in your hand and they are members of your family never to fear again. We ask that in the name and power of Jesus. Everyone said together, amen. Would you look up, praise God. Give them a hand to the brothers and sisters. Thank God for you, man. That's awesome. That's an awesome thing. Today's your day. Today is your day.